You're listening to episode 171 of the Mad Chatters podcast, January 10th, 2018. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters Podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. I'm Derek, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew. That's me. And Jeremy. Remember me. Mm. All right, well, we aren't very far into 2018, and yet it seems like there are already two attractions that we know of that we will be saying goodbye to this year. So let's talk about those real quick. First up is one that Disney has kind of been teasing us with for a long time now. Stitch's Great Escape went down in like, I don't know, earlier this summer, maybe last summer. And they said now it's going to be seasonal only. And then sure enough, it opened at Christmas time and it went down January 6th, January 7th, somewhere around there. Which is in keeping with the Disney statement that it's going to be seasonal only. But a lot of blogs were also saying, no, this is the last day. Don't expect it to open up again. So lines formed. People said goodbye. So it seems like it's closed forever. And yet Disney still hasn't really said anything. So what do you guys think is going on with Stitch's Great Escape? I don't know. I'm reticent to announce anything has closed uh, anymore for fear of... uh backlash but we'll see if uh we'll see what happens i pray that it goes away i know how i would have said goodbye to it i probably would have been kicked out of the park for it <laughs> uh, yeah i mean none of us are gonna miss it i just is it gone i don't know well i want to know who are these people saying goodbye to it i mean did stitches great escape have that big of a fan following? somebody somewhere liked it well there's also something just about being the last person to ride something you know it's like the people who say first on instagram like those are the people who want to ride is it. that still a thing i didn't think that was a thing anymore i, <laughs> I hope don't it's think not. so yeah no i think that's done but anyway so that's attraction number one we might have already said goodbye and didn't even know it but the second attraction seems like it has another month left in it circle of life an environmental fable the movie we all know and love in the Land Pavilion will be having its final show on February 3rd. So if you're going to be in Walt Disney World in the next 20-some days and you just love that attraction, make sure you go touch the wall carpet and say goodbye. Jeremy? Touch, touch the wall carpet. That sounds that sounds like an innuendo. But, uh, <laughs> make sure you touch the wall carpet. Uh, so I am probably the only one on this show that has expressed my uh, fondness for this attraction. I'm not going to say love because I don't love it, but I certainly didn't hate it. Likes it. I mean, it was it was good for what it was, is what I'm trying to say. And um, you know, I think it's it's a part of that Epcot history. It's been around for a while. It had a positive message. Uh, you know, it was a, it was an enjoyable show. Have they announced anything that's coming next there? There are rumors, of course. You know, the blogs are all about rumors. And one is that um, it's going to reopen the next week for some training as a training area for some cast members, which used to be in another part of World Showcase. 
And some are saying that maybe this part of that area will be used for a new pavilion in World Showcase. I, huh? That theater can't be that big. And that's an awkward place. I mean, because you still have Journey into Imagination right there. Yeah, I was kind of confused too, but I just, I mean, I took their word for it and also, you know, wrote it down as a rumor anyway, so. So they're closing something and not announcing something that replaces it. I don't care what it is. That's never a good thing in my book. Well, I mean, from where I'm sitting, Stitch's Great Escape first and then Circle of Life, like 2018, is off to a pretty good start. I'm not going to lie. I'm kicking myself for not uh, seeing it while we, while I was there a couple weeks ago. It's on YouTube. I'm sure they'll put out an HD <laughs> Blu-ray, you know, with all these sorts of special features. Hey, I've always said a good Blu-ray of like Epcot films, particularly of the past, you know, Captain EO and those kind of things would be amazing. But Disney has not listened to me yet. So maybe they'll cut up the film and, and sell like pins. Uh-uh. <laughs> I wouldn't count on that. All right, well, let's kick off the show by, well, I mean, other than the things we've already talked about, let's do something that we meant to do last week and just didn't really have time for. Let's talk about the new year and some Disney-related resolutions we have. Now, we've each picked two resolutions we've made for ourselves. Who wants to get us started? I will start with one that's very simple. How about that? One that I can easily fulfill um i have gone an entire year 20,000 2017 uh without staying on disney property and i don't want to do that in, in, in 2018 2018 i want to i really would like to stay on disney property i think one of my resolutions last year was to stay at the port orleans french quarter um this year I, i'm just gonna say stay on disney property somewhere well, as much as it makes sense to do little weekend getaways living down here this close, we haven't done it. And so I'm just going to say that. Just generically stay at a Disney resort one or two nights, a little getaway, just to experience that little extra bit of Disney magic. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you feel as a local that sometimes that whole like idea of a Disney vacation kind of loses its, I don't know, mystery and charm? It does because I, I still love going to Disney World, obviously. But there's it's a little different when, you know, you're not taking off work for a week and you're not really escaping a lot for a long time. You're just kind of, you know, you go up for a day, you go up for an evening, and as wonderful and convenient as that is, there is a little bit of the magic that is lost when you're not fully escaping reality for a little while. Yeah. Uh, this was hard for me because. Um we're going to be held accountable for these things apparently at the end of the year if the history re yeah history repeats <laughs> itself um so i really wanted to make realistic goals so one of my realistic goals is to visit the walt disney birthplace home that is being reconstructed uh, in chicago I think that I'll be able to sneak away to Chicago again this year at some point. And uh, this time I'm going to go by. I don't think it's going to be finished and open to the public yet, but at least I'll be able to see it from the exterior. Good one. Um, I really enjoyed talking with them, and it made me want to go, certainly. so. Um, my first resolution is actually film-based. I want to watch the six 
package films that were released in the 40s, only one of which I've seen. I've seen The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, but Saludos Amigos, Three Caballeros, Make My Music, like I've never seen any of those. I assume they're easy to find. I, I mean, I guess I could just buy them on iTunes. Uh, but yeah, I think I can watch the other five. I mean, I know I can by the time 2018 is over. I just hope I have the will to do it. They, uh, they're probably floating on, on uh, YouTube, I'm sure. Uh, the other thing, though, it's funny, at least maybe not Saludos Amigos and, and uh, Three Caballeros, but the other ones, you've probably seen the shorts that are in them. You just don't remember because at least I remember as a kid, like seeing some of the shorts in like music class or they were on TV. You know, they had like a 15 minute window to fill or whatever they would show. Uh, Ferdinand or whichever one they were. So you might have seen them, you just don't realize you've Ferdinand. seen Ferdinand. I like the Pecos Bill one. I don't know which one it's part of, but I like it. Yeah, Mickey and the Beanstalk, you know, those kind of things. Mm, oh, yeah. okay, okay. Still, though, yeah. From, like, start to finish in the way Disney, you know, released them. Yes, the way Walt intended. Exactly. Mm-hmm. My next one is, like, one I did last year, and it might be cheating a little... But um, there's nothing in stone yet, so it's still a resolution, something I would like to do that may or may not happen. And that is to, at last, finally visit Disneyland. It has been 23 years since I visited Disneyland, and I don't remember much about it. And I certainly was, wasn't as big of a Disney fan then as I am now in order to appreciate everything that Disneyland is. I've never experienced California Adventure or Cars Land or anything like that. So um, I'll be very, very excited to do that. And I think that I, I think that we can make it happen this year. Yeah, it hasn't changed a whole lot in 23 years. JK, JK. Oh, I thought you were being serious. Like, no, well, no. that's that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it only, I won't go then. It only doubled in size and added to Downtown Disney and a couple of hotels. Yeah, yeah. I'm most excited about Downtown Disney. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Top of your bucket list right there. Rainforest. <laughs> yeah, we have to make that happen. Because I, I, I always felt guilty every time we talked about Disneyland on this show. <laughs> Jeremy and me. I don't remember you feeling guilty talking about your Club 33 experience, but, you know. <laughs> maybe, like, maybe like 2% of me felt guilty. <laughs> if it helps, we did think of you while we were there. I, I, we... I did. I know you did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so my next resolution, I don't know if I'll be able to get to a park this year because I've kind of made some decisions in my personal life that will extend me being in the Midwest at least another year or two. Uh, but if I get to a park this year, much like Matt's uh, resort unfulfilled one last year, I'm going to do a tour. Mm. Which one? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it'll just be whatever I feel in the moment. Like a guided tour or just you don't give yourself one? <laughs> I'm just going to, yes, I'm, I'm going to start the tour, actually. I'm just going to grab a bunch of tourists and say, <laughs> y'all want to learn something? Follow me. <laughs> y'all, let's head down to the Utilidors and see what's going on down there. That's right. I'm going to have a little flag like the Brazilian groups and just uh, parade it around and and just, uh, no, I don't know which tour I want. But I've always wanted to do the behind the seats tour. Um, that one's always appealed to me just because I love the land pavilion so much. And yeah. I think it'd be cool to kind of see uh, living with the land from a different perspective. 
but I also um, liked the the uh, what's that one? The Trek one over at Animal Kingdom. Oh yeah, yeah, Wild Africa or something. Yeah, yeah that good. one sounds cool too. It so. does, and I always see them like walking across the bridge when I'm on the safari, and everybody's like, mm-hmm. "Ooh, what are they doing?" That's right. They paying extra money. That's what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my second resolution is to provide more cast compliments at guest services. This is not like a make or break thing. So if I if I forget, like it's not the end of the world. But I do think Disney takes those pretty seriously. And it can actually helps a cast member's chances of moving up to the next level if that's something he or she wants to do. So if there's a cast member who... I have a special interaction with who or who makes my day special in some sort of way. I'm going to be more intentional about dropping by guest services on the way out, writing a note, leaving a comment, whatever it takes. Um, I just think that'd be something nice to do. You know, we should start making up fake cast member compliments and sending them in. Just like generic names. Randy at Splash Mountain did a fantastic job today. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sir. Splash Mountain was not in operation today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, throughout the year, we'll try to keep our listeners posted on whether or not we are keeping those resolutions. But until then, let's get to a review on this week's episode as we do some eating around the world. All right, Jeremy, where are we headed this week? This week, we are headed over to Epcot and the World Showcase in the Morocco Pavilion to the restaurant Marrakesh. Now, the three of us had the opportunity to dine there together about a month ago when we were all enjoying Epcot for the day. And we chose that restaurant because Matt and I were using it as the candlelight processional package dinner. Derek was not, but he still dined there with us and i believe that was the first time all three of us had ever been there that's true so uh i guess we can start talking about the uh our general impression (laughs) as we walked in the door first off we got there what time did we eat we were there for like a late lunch i believe correct like one o'clock 12 30 no it was like 1 40 yeah i was gonna say i thought it was a little later um of course, at twelve thirty is a late lunch for me, anyways. But that's beside the point. Whatever time it was, it was empty in there. I mean, yeah. there were maybe six or seven tables out of a lot more than that. I don't. Really, I'm not good at guesstimating, but yeah, it was it was kind of awkwardly empty at first. Is really <laughs> yeah. a good way to put it. Uh, you ever been somewhere where <laughs> where like the staff is very friendly and very attentive, but since you're the only ones there, they are overly attentive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's we were kinda, greeted. We were greeted and and had to kind of sit there with three people. (laughs) Kind of staring at us like, your table's almost ready. (laughs) And the one guy was having to teach us. He was teaching us words. Remember that? Moroccan words. We're like, ah, okay, I said it. Leave me alone, please. Um, (laughs) I wasn't like that. You were like that. Oh, yeah, I was like that. Um, Just more of those cast member compliments we're firing off here. I know, right? (laughs) So-and-so was too friendly. Um... (laughs) He tried to teach me to say words in a different language, and <laughs> I'm just not all about that. No, the the place felt uh, it was empty, but it was uh, it was pretty. And and I made this uh, observation upon walking in, and I kind of knew it was going to be this way. 
Um, it the, the whole restaurant has kind of that vibe that this would be a really, 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 really swanky, high-end kind of place uh, in Morocco. You know? <laughs> and so very wide open, high ceilings. Uh, I don't even know how to... Very dated feeling, but in a charming way. It doesn't like it felt, felt old or grungy or dirty, but it felt like you just walked into a like a nice restaurant on some Moroccan street. Um, like people should be smoking hookah in like the corners or something. I kind of compared it to Nine Dragons when we stepped in because it is very, very much in your face Morocco in the same way that Nine Dragons is in your face China. And yet all the tables are very, very close together, almost in like a mess hall way. So it's beautiful in its architecture and its setting, and yet it still feels, in a way, mess hall cafeteria-ish, just because there's so many tables in one big room. And there's not a lot of separation. That's the thing that kind of irks me about a lot of these table service restaurants. Um, You know, there's... I don't. I don't think there's like booths or anything, is there? This more just like open tables right next to each other, all around the restaurant. Yeah, uh, I guess we should say this is in the very back of the Morocco Pavilion. So I think I've even been back there. Like I've done the loop through Morocco and didn't know this restaurant that I passed right by the entrance to this restaurant. Yeah, it kind of blends in with the the wall. There's like a big wall. If you look up, you kind of see like a forced perspective, like cityscape. Mm-hmm. Um, like up, but the yeah, the entrance is just kind of in this in this wall. There's this little gate to restaurant Marrakesh. In the center of the room, um, there is uh, it's not really a large dance floor, is it? Of course, it's not meant for everybody. There's a, a kind of a I don't know, like a ten by twelve kind of hard, hardwood dance floor in which uh, at various times throughout our meal. Um, a belly dancer came out and did a few little numbers. And so that's, you know, there's some live entertainment if you want to see it that way. It's kind of like, oh, okay, she's dancing. Unless you just want to stand there and stare awkwardly, then, um, you know, it's all right. Yeah, she's almost, she almost gives the impression that she doesn't expect you to really watch her, but maybe be aware of her, if that makes <laughs> sense, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like kind of in your peripheral vision, know she's there doing her thing. But when you watch it for long periods, it's awkward. Yes, yeah. I I sense your presence, but I'm not going to acknowledge your presence. Where should I look? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and don't forget about her awesome uh, opening act, which is the guy on the... Uh, I don't even know what instrument that is. I was going to mention, it's a keyboard. It's a... <laughs> It's like he's just playing a synthesizer. So there's like this, uh, yeah, there's like this, um, you know, recorded kind of Middle Eastern-y kind of beat in the background and uh, with chords and stuff. And he's just kind of playing very uh, stereotypically Middle Eastern melodies, like using strings and different voices on a keyboard. So, I mean, it's pleasant. It it certainly has the atmosphere uh, that it's it's going for. What do we call him? (laughs) I believe you called him Dr. Fez. Dr. Fez, yeah, he's wearing a big, he's like a 60-year-old like uh, Aladdin uh, <laughs> up there. That's his night, that's his day job now. I uh, don't think you can say that, but that's okay. No, uh, but he's wearing the big Fez like that. It's, 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 everything is a parody of itself, so it's, it's kind of like a, a mildly offensive, as it is. 
Yeah, I kind of felt like I was in an Indiana Jones film. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is a place Indy would eat uh, with um, his... What's his name? Salih? Salah? Indy! Anyways, uh, and then... Um, Derek compared it to a Turkish bathhouse, which how he knows what that looks like, I have no idea. <laughs> I forgot that. No, there was something about the the two sides. I say rooms, but really... The it was raised like, part? Yeah, it was all one room, but on either side, you go up a few stairs, and there's like a smaller section of tables up there. And it reminded me of movies where you see like someone sitting in a mud bath, and it's like, it's just surrounded by a brick wall, not brick, um, like ceramic tile wall, you know, and you kind of sink into the floor. Like, that's what it reminded me of, kind of, but in a nice way. <laughs> I love, we are qualifying everything we say about this. Well, place. I mean, bath, I mean, I'm not saying it looks like a locker room or something, like a nice <laughs> place that you pay money to go take a nice bath in. It's one of those things that Disney fans will understand. Like, you've captured the street restaurant feel it's hard to say what you mean without sounding offensive it feels like a nice restaurant in a less than wealthy country (laughs) (laughs) and that's what you're going for so it's realistic and to be fair i long avoided this restaurant just because i'm like a belly dancer like that seems really weird but it, it felt very natural and I mean that truly, honestly, like I enjoyed the music that he was playing. And when she came out, I enjoyed what that added to the meal as a whole. Yes, I and especially enjoyed the older people behind us that were really, really into the, the dancing. And I appreciate that Derek has finally admitted his longstanding fear of Naples on this show. Who? Derek. He has a fear of Naples. And it's oh, finally Naples. Yes, after after several years. Ooh. I thought you said Naples. <laughs> that too. He stays away from Naples, Florida. <laughs> you show me a naval in Naples. Oh, get me out of there. Uh, I bet those old people were from Naples. Well, I did. Did they give her permission to physically go to their, to their table and bring them onto the dance floor? Because I would have been like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no. First of all, while you all were ordering your food or desserts or something, um, the grandma, me, mom was over there. Uh, I mean, getting down, like sitting down. She was sitting down, but husband went away to the bathroom, and she was just having herself a time, just like dancing, raising her arms in the air. And so I'm sure the belly dancers saw it and like, you know what? They're having a good time. Maybe they want to come out here. So she goes over there and invites them both onto the dance floor, which was 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 adorable in its in, in its own little way. I have a good video of the old people dancing with the belly dancer that I'll put on our uh, Twitter. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get to the food. Uh, So your package came with an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert from the actual menu. I thought they would bring you a limited menu, but they didn't. You got to order really anything you wanted. And I just ordered an entree since I had not already paid for mine. Uh, But let's talk about some of the appetizers you guys got. Do you remember? I got the goat cheese with the crispy bread for two. I thought and, I got that. Oh, then I got the appetizer combo. That's what you got. Yeah, we, we kind of split it up because we were sharing. That's right. So mine came with uh, what's called a beef brouette. Is that how you say it? I looked this up, and every spelling I saw of it was actually B-R... I think it was B-R-I-O-U-A-T, like a French spelling... And the only time I could spell it this way was at this restaurant. But I oh, think I it's Briwat. Okay. okay. It came with a beef one of those, a chicken Bastilla, 
and a jasmine jasmina salad yeah uh they were good it was like a um it was like the same texture paper uh phyllo dough thank you that's what i was going for that they use for like the um the the baklava thank you (laughs) 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 yeah it was layers of thin pastry yeah. Yes, and then it had some powdered sugar on top of it as well. So it kind of gave you a, a sweet but savory sort of yeah. blend. Uh, these were good. Not my absolute favorite, but good. And the salad was okay. Nothing special about the salad. But what Matt got was the highlight for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the, the goat cheese with crispy bread for two. Which, you know, to hear it, um, it's described as a mixture of cheese and Kalamata olives served with a tabbouleh, uh, red pepper sauce, and balsamic vinegar reduction. And, and it sounded like when you order it, you know, bread and cheese, I expected like a cheese board almost with the goat cheese and bread on the other side. But it actually came as like little individual servings, like little bites, um, like tapas almost, in a long plate. And the bread was on the bottom, the cheese was already on it, and the olive was the olive was already there, right? Yeah, I think the olives were chopped up and like rolled into a ball with the cheese. Yes. And then drizzled on it was the tabbouleh and the red pepper sauce and the balsamic vinegar. So you got, you know, when you took a bite, you kind of got everything at once. And it was delicious. I'm a a big goat cheese fan. So, you know, make sure you like goat cheese before you order it because it can be off-putting. It's a little more. It's creamy and it's also tangy. And some people just don't, don't go for that. But it was delicious. And the olives, too. If you don't like olives, you know, avoid this. I'm craving it right now. Like, like my mouth is watering thinking about it. I really like these. Yeah, mm. these were good. In fact, this is what the uh, waiter suggested to us when we kind of asked him what appetizers he liked. He pointed to this one. Uh, it's funny, the Bastilla you talked about, also layers of thin pastry, but it was filled with chicken and almonds. And then, like you said, sprinkled with cinnamon and powdered sugar. Uh, the, we had this for the appetizer, the entree, and the dessert in different yeah. forms. Like, it... <laughs> It's kind of like when you eat a crepe, you know, you can have a, a dessert sweet crepe or a savory crepe. It was very much like this, but it also reminded me of a Monte Cristo, which is basically like a funnel cake filled with ham and cheese and then, you know, deep Dipped fried. Dipped battered and fried, yeah. Yeah, and, and covered with powdered sugar. And, and it's funny because, you know, Morocco obviously has a lot of French influences in North Africa yeah. and France. So I, I wonder which one inspired the other. But this Bastilla was delicious, but it just so much reminded me of a Monte Cristo. Hmm, which came yeah. first, the Bastilla or the Monte Cristo? Uh, the debate rages on. <laughs> uh, there are some other options that you can have, though, for your appetizer if you so choose. You can get these things individually. You can also get Moroccan merguez sausage which I don't know what that is, and the seafood bestia, which I'm assuming is like the chicken and beef, only with, you guessed it, seafood. Yeah, of course, us getting the flat the flat rate, like we paid our, we've already paid for it, basically. Well, we paid for it at the table, but it was going to be the same price no matter what we got. So, of course, we both went for the appetizer thing for two, but you can get, like Jeremy said, the the rolls, the, the beer, however you said it, um, the rolls or the chicken bestia, by the, or the salad, I mean, if you want it. I mean, it, it was okay. Uh, you can get those individually as well. Yeah, we get, there was bread service too. Don't forget that. We, oh, yeah. I did forget that. Was there like a special butter? Or was no, it butter? 
it was just like a really big, almost looked like a flatbread kind of a feel yeah. that they brought to the table. Oh gosh, I don't remember that at all. It was like a little roll. Yeah, but it was like, it was a little wider, so it was almost the size of like a pancake, and it was flatter. And so uh, yeah. they only brought one per person, and then I asked well, for We more. asked for more, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, while the, while the Jasmina salad sat there, sadly, on the plate, we all moved on to our entrees. And I know Matt and I both got the same thing. We went for the most expensive item, which actually, $24.99, again, reminiscent of Nine Dragons, like pretty reasonable prices for a sit-down restaurant at World Showcase. So $24.99 for the Sultan Sampler, which came with grilled brochette of chicken, and then basically the two things that we got as appetizers. No, this beef. is what was disappointing to me. <laughs> well, I didn't think about it when I ordered, but yeah, it came with the beef brewat roll and the chicken bestia once again. Yeah, I the and we both I think we were both eating it. And we were like, oh, we've already had these two things, and I was kind of tired of them by then, and I couldn't really finish it because I mean it was so rich. I mean, think of like a savory deep fried tasting powdered sugar pastry there's only so much of that you can eat and we've eaten some for the appetizer so i was loving the chicken um brochette i guess i would have just called it a kebab which is basically it came on a skewer like that with some wonderfully marinated grilled chicken it was very 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 flavorful and the couscous was good if you like couscous which i do I agree. The chicken was the best part. So flavorful. And when you got a little scoop of the vegetable couscous with it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yep. Do you remember what you got, Jeremy? I got the couscous with lamb shank. Uh, this is the national Moroccan dish. So I decided to go for that. And it um, came with some, how would I say, tiny... Semolina. Oh, okay. Simulaya pasta. I don't know what that is, but it was in there uh, with steamed vegetables. Uh, it was good. Again, I'm not the biggest couscous fan. I don't hate it, but it's good to me. But the lamb was excellent. Just fall off the bone, tender and juicy. It was really mm. good. Really I should good. have gotten that. I mean, looking at it, I mean, you would have thought I would read what's in the appetizers and read what's on the the menu and get something a little different. And I should have gotten that. I think it's funny that they call it tiny semolina pasta there and couscous everywhere else, because I think that's the same thing. Isn't I'm not looking at the menu right now, but aren't mm, the majority of the items on the entrees couscous with blank. First of all, did you say entrees? <laughs> you just said entrees. Oh, I'm, obviously I meant entrees. <laughs> the entrees. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking two steps ahead. But isn't almost every item couscous with chicken, couscous with lamb? Yeah. The first, and even if it's not named that, the chicken kebabs are served with couscous, and the lamb shank is served with couscous, and everything everything kind of comes with, with that, which is to be, you know, expected. Okay, so if you come to Marrakesh, either like couscous or like meat with powdered sugar. Because that's that's about all your options, which <laughs> for some people will be a you know a turn off. I would encourage you to try it anyway, at least for lunch. You could share some of this stuff. I mean, seriously, the the samplers especially. Yeah. All right. Did you both get dessert? I only remember seeing one dessert. Yeah, no, because we, it, no, we got both got a dessert because it came with our package. So I got the um, Bestia number three. 
yeah, it was basically like the the pastries with ice cream and orange blossom water. I guess is what that is. That's kind of like, like a cream, like a custard. Yeah, vanilla cream. Yeah, it was once again listed as Bastilla. So appetizer, entree, and now dessert. Yeah. Um, my opinion on this. To me, that orange blossom flavoring a little goes a long way. Yeah. And when you have too much of it, it you feel like you're eating what they clean like a public bathroom with. Like that citrus <laughs> sort of smell. <laughs> so... If- if you like the taste of, I mean, if you've had like rose water, uh, this is very similar. It tastes like you're eating a flower. Yeah, but th- to me, the orange blossom though, it tasted very artificial. Yeah, it like does I said, have like that chemically taste to it. Yeah, like if I was munching on a urinal cake, that's what this would be. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I liked it. It wasn't bad. And, and, and as someone who has tasted a few urinal cakes, it wasn't that, that, that terrible. <laughs> but uh, I probably wouldn't get it again. It wasn't my favorite. I would have gone with what Matt got, which was the baklava. Yeah, I got – it's called the uh, Moroccan Symphony, which uh-huh. is just th- yeah, three assorted uh, baklavas. And they were very tiny, like um, bite size, I would say. If I was paying $7 for this – in and of itself, I'd be like, what the heck? But it was part of the thing, and so it was fine. I mean, imagine a little one serving of, of baklava kind of chopped in half, and I had like three. I don't know what the difference was, pistachio in one, walnut in the other. I don't I don't know what the difference was. They were good, but um, I think you could probably get fresher, probably tastier and cheaper baklava out in like the Tangerine Cafe um, bakery. Hmm. Yeah, so my overall thoughts on this place, I'm really glad we went. It's something I've kind of wanted to do, but every time I'm with a party, I'm like, I don't want to force them to go eat at the weird restaurant in Morocco. Uh, But all three of us are adventurous, and I'm really glad we went because I liked everything I ate. And like I said, price-wise, it was pretty reasonable. So, two thumbs up, would you go back? Yeah, absolutely. I think I would. If I'm in an Indiana Jones mood, I'll bring my whip. Which I always carry with me, but Obviously. Uh, <laughs> I didn't bring have my fedora this time. But yeah, I would go back, and I would say this is a good restaurant if you want to be a little adventurous, but not too adventurous. There you go. Score another point for World Showcase. All right, up next, uh, we want to do something that we don't do very often on this show, uh, but we want to kind of make a better habit of doing it. We get emails and tweets and Facebook messages from people from time to time, and we're, I, I feel like we're pretty good at responding to those people uh, through email or Facebook. But sometimes those questions are things that maybe other listeners are wondering about as well. So from time to time, if we get an email or a tweet or something that we think might be advantageous for other listeners, we're going to address it on this show. So let's get to two specific emails we received. Uh, I want to say recently, but it might been, it might've been longer than I'm thinking. This one is from two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is not. If you will tweet it, then we will read it. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. If you have questions, we'll make suggestions. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. 
two emails lined up today from some wonderful fans that have some wonderful questions. Uh, the first comes from Laura. Laura says, Hello, Chatters. I'm Laura from British Columbia in Canada, and I'm taking a trip to Disneyland in February 2018 with eight other friends. It's my second time to Disneyland, but my first time in a larger group and organizing on our own. We are so excited, and I was wondering if you guys had any tips or tricks about going to Disney in a larger group. We've booked accommodations and flights, but if you have any other planning or in-park tips, that would be greatly appreciated. Absolutely love the podcast, and all the best in the new year. Thank you, Laura. That is so kind of you to uh, wish us a happy new year and express your love for the podcast. I could tell you some tips about going in a larger group to Disney World, but... I feel like Disneyland might be another animal, and having not been there in 23 years, <laughs> I will let Jeremy and Derek give some of their, their tips they might perceive would be helpful to you. Okay, as you're reading this email, I'm getting so many vibes from that last scene in Mrs. Doubtfire, where she started her own TV show, and is reading, an e- reading a letter from one of the fans. <laughs> oh, that's the vibe I get right now. Yeah, my only tip is, this is what I would do. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But when you're in a large group, when I'm in a large group, I find that I'm not able to do everything necessarily that I would do if I were by myself, which normally is okay because I've just gone in with those expectations and I'm like, oh, we don't have to ride that. It's a long wait. No one wants to wait that long. But if I were going with a group and I hadn't been in a long time, I would probably make one or two specific plans every day to all get together. So think like dining reservations or let's all meet up for the fireworks at Disneyland and have specific things planned that everyone wants to do, but then have three or four hour windows where you agree to split up and get done what you want to get done that maybe other people don't care as much about. Yeah, I always find going in a large group, um, at least to Disney World, which, you know, it's not that different. I I just said that because there might be some tips and things I'm not aware of out there. But when you go in a large group, you're going to have the people that don't care what you do, and they're just there to be with you and have a good time. And then you're going to have the people that want to do certain things, and they're going to let you know they want to do certain things. And so when you go to Disney World with a large group, you're going to have a group of people that really want to ride the Tomorrowland uh, Speedway. And you're going to be like, no. So you have a choice <laughs> to make. You, you have a choice to make in that moment. You can either be like, okay, you know what? I'm here with my friends. We're going to have a good time together. I'm going to go wait and ride this awful thing. Or you can say, okay, why don't you guys do that? I'm going to go do this and see who wants to join you. And just don't make a big deal about it. Um Either, either way is fine, and everybody gets to do what they want to do. You know your friends, if they're going to be offended by you wanting to split up, or if they'll be okay with it. But I think Derek's tip is, that's a, that's a good route to go. I wouldn't necessarily be, and Derek and I are different people, but I, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily plan um, like times and things like that. Just kind of, I'm more of a go-with-the-flow kind of person, so... I think that's helpful for large groups. But if you're not, you make plans and then just invite the others to join you if they would like. It's going to be a little difficult out at Disneyland with a big group 
uh, as far as planning fast passes goes because they don't have the app that we have at Walt Disney World. So in order to do fast passes there, you have to do it in the in the old school manner of showing up at the location with your tickets and everybody putting it into the machine and that kind of thing. Am I correct in that? That that's the way it is out there. Yeah, you're correct, but I actually think that makes it a little I think bit it's easier. easier. Yeah, because one person can take everybody's ticket and go make sure they're all at the same time. Or it's just one that, like like we're talking about, planning ahead of time for eight people. You know, you don't have to be texting and calling, and because when you with the current Walt Disney World system, when I go with people that don't necessarily know what they want to do. I'm like emailing them and texting them 24-7, like, are you okay if I make this plan? Are you okay if I make these fast passes? Here's what we're doing. And most times they don't care. At least when you're just there, I think the old fast pass system kind of lends itself to more or less going with the flow and letting people do what they want to do when they want to do it. Well, that's true. And you always have that one person in, in your group that usually doesn't want to uh, ride anything. So send dad over to get the fast passes. Send everybody. him back to Canada. <laughs> back his bags. Is Laura from Canada? Yes, yeah, British Columbia. Columbia. Oh. In Canada. It was literally the first line in the email. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Pay attention. Usually it's Matt and I that aren't paying attention on this. <laughs> it's funny. I've read that email like five times. I just forgot. <laughs> Um, but uh, I think what Derek said it, it was was the biggest thing that I could say, and that is manage your expectations. Because anytime you're trying to move a large group of people, it's it's going to be difficult if everybody plans on staying together. I think the biggest group that I've been with uh, at Walt Disney World was like 10 people. And even with just 10 people, it was like somebody always had to use the bathroom. Somebody always wanted to stop to take a picture. Somebody always needed to get a, a, a water or something like that. So, you know, trying to say, hey, we're going to go from here to here and we need to be there now is kind of difficult. So manage those expectations. Don't be afraid to break up. When we first started uh, our trips together, uh, the three of us, um, D- Derek and Jeremy had not been and I had been a long time so I was kind of planning the trips and I was kind of as I was planning and thinking about what we would do from day to day I would send them emails or yeah basically emails at that point um, of like a daily I suggested daily itinerary yeah so if you're the planner of the trip do that and send it and then you can start gauging you probably know your friends anyway but you can start gauging how much each of them actually cares so it might be a wonderful um, thing where you can just plan every day and they're just going to go along with it. Or some people might actually look online and do some research and say, you know what, I don't want to do that or I do want to do that. You know your friends and it seems like you know Disneyland um, from being at least a few times. So just you know, plan ahead of time and maybe send them some things like this is what I was thinking and just gauge the reactions and let them opt in or opt out as they, as they want. Also leave some time, maybe even a whole day of like nothing planned because you don't know what they're going to gravitate towards and want to do over and over again. And so leave some time that, hey, I really like Soren. I want to ride it again or, you know, whatever, yeah. that they're they're going to have that opportunity to do so and still get to see everything. Yep. It seems like Disneyland might even, I mean, obviously be more conducive to everybody can st- do their own thing a little, but also still uh, still feel like you're kind of together. 
because of the the distance between the two parks it's not like you have to completely you know leave one place and go halfway across the the campus to somewhere the campus the property to, to somewhere else you're, you're kind of still all there together within at least like a 20 minute walk from each other yeah i agree and have fun send us a trip report when you're done Absolutely. We'll read assuming, it the show. <laughs> assuming this letter wasn't from 2016. <laughs> yeah. uh, Derek thinks she, he just read he just read British. He's like, oh, she's British. <laughs> That's uh, not true. I know. <laughs> Our next email comes from Katie. Katie says, I'm often curious about something. I'm sure I can find it online, but of course, it would be more fun for Jeremy to spew lots of fun facts while Derek and Matt chime in from their perspectives. Which, hold on, what? <laughs> Since what is the Jeremy like the resident scholar? We just we just chime in. I mean, I is, think, that the way, is that the way the show happens? I think it speaks volumes that our listeners are that perceptive that they know what's going on on the we show. Just, we just chime in from our perspectives. <laughs> yes, clearly. I mean, I show up every show with my with my Oxford uh, scholarly hat on, my my long clerical pipe, my robes, my vestibule robes here. Vestibule. So, I, um, uh, let's be honest, you're straight up wearing a snuggie right now. <laughs> it's cold. Uh, back to Katie's email. Her question comes to this: Who decides what goes into a country pavilion in Epcot? For example, did Canada have a say in what their area included? Did they make the call to have the Circle Vision Theater and the beautiful outdoor area? Or did Disney say, this is what we're doing. Make us a movie for it, please. <laughs> Do you guys know much about how much, if any, collaboration there is with the countries? And then she says, thank you for filling some of our days with the magic of your Disney knowledge and experience. I'm <clears throat> Jeremy. It's a great Disney fix for us. Much appreciated. And that's what we try to do, provide a little Disney fix for those Disney fans that need a little extra magic and, of course, Jeremy's knowledge and experience. <laughs> I actually did a little research on this today, and I'm just going to kind of spit out what I what I found, and we can talk about it. Um, the only pavilion at World Showcase in Epcot that is directly sponsored by the country, as if the country were a business that sponsored their own uh, pavilion is uh, the Kingdom of Morocco, which we have talked about already on the show. Um, their country government—they probably have a subcommittee or something that that is that works with this, if they even remember it's still here. <laughs> um, had direct say in what goes into their pavilion, what uh, can or cannot be. I'm thinking about illuminations, you know, where. Um, Something according to um, Islam forbids lights being affixed to buildings in some way, so you will not see Morocco illuminated by the little popcorn lights during illuminations. So things like that were directly controlled um, by the the government of Morocco. Every other pavilion um, was, I mean, they're all designed by Walt Disney Imagineering, and the things that are put there are put there by them. But with say so from individual companies from those uh, countries that sponsor the pavilions. So when you go to Canada, you'll see specific merchandise from um, retailers and, and businesses and brands from Canada that sponsor the pavilion and therefore maybe have some at least figurehead say in what goes into the pavilion and what 
uh, what it looked like. At least Disney collaborated, quote unquote, on some level with them in the creation of the pavilion. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Imagineers first and foremost, but they at least reached out in every case. Yeah. And when it came to Morocco, if I remember correctly, the king of Morocco sent his own personal architects to work with Walt Disney Imagineering uh, to make the uh, buildings that authentic. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Norway doesn't give a crap because their country was just decimated by Arendelle or whatever it is. But (laughs) every other country... Because I'm willing to bet, like, I'm thinking about even in Canada, like, they say, doesn't doesn't say at the beginning of the, the Circle Vision Theater show, say something to the effect of, on behalf of the Canadian Tourism Board or something to that, yeah, that effect. Yeah, it just depends on how really, I guess, how much those companies care. I, it seems to me like the majority of the companies just throw their money at it, get the advertising, sell the merchandise, and just trust Disney to do what Disney does. Well, it's funny that you mention Norway and Canada. I actually have two stories from those two countries. So Aaron, our friend Aaron Wallace, wrote the book, uh, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World, Epcot. And I knew that he had a whole section on World Showcase, and so he had done a lot of this research. So I actually presented this question to him, and he sent back um, a very lengthy but a very well-crafted response to this question. And he mentioned both Canada and Norway He said that in planning Epcot, Imagineers reached out to numerous governments, like you said, and were eager to involve them, both creatively and obviously financially, (laughs) in creating World Showcase. Uh, And the list of countries to make the cut was determined in part by which ones actually got on board with Disney. Um, But when he talked about Canada, he said that it opened with zero involvement from Canada itself. But that was actually a problem. Like, it suffered as a result. And decades later, the Canadian press hammered the O Canada film in its original form so severely for its problematic stereotypes that Canadian leaders vowed to get involved. So a tourism commission finally stepped up to the plate with sponsorship dollars, like they, you know, put money into it. And that's when we got the new film hosted by Martin Short. And when you watch that, it's very, very much geared toward dispelling those stereotypes and presenting Canada as just this beautiful, wonderful, great place to visit. Yeah. It's like, well, do you want to make the movie or do you want Americans to make it? Because we gave you the option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool, though. I think so, too. And and with Norway, he said um, the relationship between the country and Epcot has, has evolved over time. When the Norway Pavilion opened, it was co-funded by a consortium that included the Norwegian government, private Norwegian corporations, and investors, and and Disney itself. But by 1992, four years after that pavilion opened, all the investors had sold their shares back to Disney. And, and after that, the Norwegian government started reducing its annual payout almost every year before finally bowing out altogether in 2002. So back in, back in the day, they used to have this book a trip to Norway computer kiosk in that pavilion... Oh, yeah. And they had a little film that touted modern Norway as a destination. Uh, 
but now he, now Aaron's quote is now Olaf is dancing on ice skates instead. So <laughs> so these relationships really do have a creative impact in terms of what makes it into a pavilion and what doesn't. Obviously, when Norway bowed out, Disney was like, "All right, we'll take it from here." Yeah, thank you. So well, and and I'm sure you know it's the initial the newness of it. Of I'm sure these countries were like, "Wow, Disney wants to have." free advertisement to come uh, you know it's only good good can come from it you know because i never wanted to go to norway till i visited epcot and now i'd like to go uh you know, so it's, it is kind of like a free free tourism sort of advertisement because how many thousands of people come through epcot every year i mean and, and again most americans and, and non-americans who, who's thinking about morocco outside of epcot yeah. Well, and the problem with Disney allowing the governments to have too much say, I think, is that, you know, as Americans, we want to see these countries in like their stereotypical form that that we've mentioned before is like borderline racist, you know, <laughs> uh, but but we wouldn't go so far as to say it is. Whereas the modern governments and the, especially the tourism commissions in these places, they are much more interested in their countries as they exist today. Whereas Imagineers want to represent the culture's historical traditions, because that's what we like, that's what we find exotic. Um, Aaron said, if every country looked like its capital city in the present day, World Showcase would look a lot like downtown Orlando, which is to say, not very impressive. So, it, it's just like this, it, it, I think it's different for every country. but it's Clearly, just... Aaron does not work for the uh, Orlando Tourism <laughs> Board. <laughs> wow. He won't now. Um, yeah, and if you don't really quite you know gauge what we're what we're saying think about the american pavilion at epcot when you walk in and you see the way the cast members are dressed and sort of the overall atmosphere obviously that's probably not what you look like in whatever city you're listening to in the united states so everybody in germany is not wearing lederhosen and listening to uh yodeling music as much as we would like to believe that they are do what yeah, I just want to share one more story because uh, because I've always found the government of China to be fascinating and kind of terrifying in a sense. Like there's <laughs> something about China that makes me never want to go there just because it's it's kind of scary. In the hello Chinese listeners, <laughs> shout out to you. And that's the thing. Like I really want to see the country and meet the people, but there's something about the government. We're that- not afraid of you just your politics. <laughs> it just makes me uneasy. Anyway, Aaron says China is the single most fascinating case study for the role that real foreign governments play in creating these pavilions. The U.S. refused to even recognize the People's Republic of China when Epcot was first planned. Fast forward a few years and the relationship between the U.S. and the China was still pretty... U.S. and China was still pretty icy. The communist government there was and still is very skeptical of American media and so it's something of a miracle that they allowed Disney's camera crews into their country to film Wonders of China, which was the original film. Obviously, now it's called Reflections of China. Um, there were tons of stipulations. Even though Disney essentially invented the Circle Vision camera, they weren't allowed to operate it. Imagineers had to stay on the ground while the Chinese government's state-employed camera crew took the Circle Vision camera up into the air to film supposedly quote unquote sensitive locations like the Great Wall and the Forbidden City. So every frame in Wonders of China, Reflections of China, exists the way it does because the People's Republic of China wanted it to exist that way. Anyway, I'm gonna send Aaron's response to Katie. It's it's very fascinating. Um, and I mean to plug his book, honestly, he does give a lot of great information in the Thinking Fans Guide to Epcot. Um 
Future World and World Showcase. But that was a great question, and I'm glad Katie asked it because it, it helped me learn things as well. So. Yeah, and the interesting thing uh, for us Disney fans going forward is going to be how a country's government will interact with Walt Disney Imagineering should the day ever come that we get a new country in Epcot. Because the last one to go in was 1988. The world has obviously changed a lot since then. And uh, how governments interact with their tourism and the and in the age of uh, social media and the online communities and those kind of things. Uh, if, if a country like Brazil or Australia or Israel, which are always the top ones rumored, uh, to come to Epcot were to happen, I'd be curious to see how much influence those governments have. Yeah. Anyway, well, this discussion actually leads quite nicely into our main segment. So let's get to it. In just the last few years, Walt Disney World has undergone a lot of changes. And if we learned anything from the D23 Expo last year, it's that Walt Disney World will see many more changes over the next four years as it gets ready for its 50th anniversary. One thing Disney executives have made clear is that Epcot especially will be given lots of attention. It will take on a new focus and receive pretty much an overhaul. But one question many Disney fans, including me, are asking is, what does that mean for Illuminations? Is Epcot finally going to get a new nighttime show, especially now that the other three parks have all gotten new shows of their own? Rivers of Light, Happily Ever After, uh, Lots of nighttime shows at Hollywood Studios. So while the answer to that question is still unclear, we do want to take some time on this week's episode to discuss the current nighttime show at Epcot. Not only because we've never really talked about Illuminations on our podcast, but also because this month, Illuminations celebrates its 30th anniversary. That's right, the original Illuminations debuted on the World Showcase Lagoon on January 30th, 1988. So to honor this milestone, we're going to look back at how the show has evolved over the last three decades and then discuss what we think the future holds for nighttime entertainment at Epcot. So I'm going to take us back to the opening year of Epcot, 1982, and you you have to wonder that deciding what nighttime entertainment would look like at Epcot, you have to wonder, like, how did they come to the decision? Because in Magic Kingdom, I mean, it was pretty straightforward, have some fireworks behind the castle themed to Disney movies. But Epcot, you have like one half dedicated to innovation and science and the future, and then one half dedicated to the world and cultures and nationalities. So, like, what's it going to focus on? Is it going to be behind Spaceship Earth? Like, where are people going to stand? Yeah, I think logistically speaking is probably really what, what started that conversation because there's just no way to crowd people around Spaceship Earth at all. Um, because the problem with the icon at the front of the park is uh, half of it is, in, you know, you viewing in the parking lot, the other half inside the park. So, you know, with the castle, at least it's kind of centered uh, Spaceship Earth does not have that luxury so i think it only made sense to go around the showcase lagoon now 
uh, whether fireworks shows had been on water before uh, illuminations, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but it did kind of it does kind of seem kind of like a uh, a novelty, even even in today's world. I know SeaWorld does their own little. I don't think it has fireworks, but their own little show on water during Christmas time. But uh, when the fireworks go off in Illuminations, they're not necessarily high above you like you think of fireworks. They are kind of exploding right in, in your <laughs> front of, of sight. <laughs> were, were fireworks, um, just you know, reading today, I don't, I don't think that fireworks were part of the kind of proto-Illuminations show that led to illuminations were they at, at least not not at the first yeah fireworks are always part of it but admittedly every show that replaced the one before it added many many more fireworks um so like we said illuminations didn't start until 1988 but real quickly let me run through a few of the predecessors to illuminations so october of 82 the month epcot opened they debuted this show on the water called carnival de lumiere and, you know, I mentioned how do you decide what it's going to focus on, because obviously it's not going to focus on the Disney movies. Well, their idea basically combined projections, which is sort of a sciencey thing. So that was kind of a nod to Future World. It combined that with musical scores, classical music written by composers in these nations. So that was like a good way of balancing World Showcase, the music, yeah. with Future World, the visuals. Um, so what happened was three barges rolled out and they were all in between Canada and Mexico, which means you couldn't stand anywhere on World Showcase if you wanted to see it. You had to stand somewhere between Canada and Mexico. There were three barges and in front of the barges were water screens, misted water screens. And so the barges had projections that from the rear, like projected onto the water for you to see. And then in between the three barges were the fireworks barges and the fountain barges that would, you know, light up as the screen as images were being flashed on these water screens. Barges. <laughs> I said that a lot. Barges. Um, it's funny, everywhere I look, people keep saying there are no known recordings of this show. And it did only last for a year, so I can understand why. So no one really knows what the music was. But they assume it was a lot like the next show, A New World Fantasy, which debuted a year later. And this was essentially the same thing. The barges came out and projected images on these water screens. There were some fireworks. But this time they added some automated searchlights on certain rooftops. So it added just another level, another element to the show. A year after that, we got Laser Phonic Fantasy. This ran from 1984 until Illuminations debuted in 1988. It used the same soundtrack, um, which, by the way, you can find this online. It starts with Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the dun-dun-dun-dun, mm -hmm. and it just goes through. It kind of reminds me of Impressions de France, honestly. It just goes through a bunch of different classical compositions. But this time, with Laser Phonic Fantasy, you could see it from anywhere around World Showcase because they added projections onto booths on Canada, Mexico, and the American Adventure. But these weren't just projections like the first two shows. These were laser projection booths. So I know. So instead of having to have barges come out there and project from the rear, these were projecting lasers onto the water screens from the rooftops. And this allowed the um, images to be brighter, bolder. They 
they painted bright shapes on these large curtains of water. And like I said, you could see it from all around World Showcase. So you kind of have to imagine this was sort of groundbreaking in a way. Like if you're used to seeing the fireworks at Magic Kingdom, now you can stand anywhere in this circle and see not only fireworks and lasers, but you can see them projected onto these water screens, which is just such a new thing at that time. Um, when you watch videos, it it kind of reminds me of electrical water pageant on steroids because, first of all, all the music is on the synthesizer, which makes me think of electrical water pageant, Main Street Electrical Parade. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's just like lasers, you know, going everywhere. So that's the vibe I get from this show. Well, this is what happens when you have Imagineers that came of age in the 60s. A lot of uh, <laughs> lasers, psychedelic trip some acid and just enjoy the show yeah well it's very 80s too it's like you know like a laser rock show but like a synthesizer that's very 80s mm-hmm. yeah i mean i still trip acid and enjoy the show <laughs> 2017 so uh well there wasn't really a story in this it was more just like a celebration of music from around the world well when we got night when we got illuminations in 1988 For the first time, now the nighttime show was going to incorporate the pavilions themselves. So Matt, earlier you talked about like the popcorn lights that are on each pavilion that kind of light up throughout the show. This was the first show that used that. And as I was researching this, like a light bulb went off. Illuminations. Like I've always known that the N in Illuminations is capitalized, but you are literally illuminating each nation during this show. I just love, I love that you had an Oprah aha moment right there. (laughs) So the show started out with a voice that sounds exactly like the woman from Fantasmic. (laughs) I I mean, it might be the same woman, honestly. This was, I think it's Sigourney Weaver, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Definitely not her. But she said, good evening and welcome to World Showcase. Tonight we are pleased to present a visual journey, an international fantasy of music and light. We're about to embark on the sparkling abstract expedition around World Showcase. With the music as your passport, we'll discover sights and sounds from colorful ports of call. And to celebrate our journey, the countries will be united by the festive elements of water, fire, and light. And now let your imagination be your guide as Epcot Center proudly presents Illumination. What a wonderful... Disney intro. And Derek, you are pipes on that. You are fucking for a job. This is your audition tape. (laughs) And I'm sick, so. Uh, Even better. (laughs) So. Make your voice deeper. That's right. Look out, Jim Cummings. (laughs) (laughs) So this show basically took everything from laser phonic fantasy and just like tripled it, quadrupled it. It just elevated everything about it. They added floodlights. They added those rim lighting, those popcorn lights on every nation. They added projections on the pavilions themselves. There were strobe lights. They added a laser barge, so that way lasers were not just coming from the buildings onto the water screens, but lasers were out on the water uh, projecting onto other things, projecting onto buildings, projecting from the other side of the water. Uh, they used there's a, a new barge added on this on this laser barge. Water screens came from it as well, so there were more water screens. And for the first time, instead of using synthesizers to create the score, they used a full orchestra. They spent I don't know weeks, months, however long, recording 
all of these compositions using a full orchestra instead of a synth synthesizer. So you can already imagine that th this thing is just amplified to a much, much larger scale. And part of this show included what they called the pavilion chase. And this is where they would play a piece of music that was directly tied to a nation. So think of like the background music you hear now as you get to each country, you know, it's very specific to that country. They would play something like that. And whenever they got to a specific nation, like let's say they would play something that was French, spotlights would go over to France and all the pop light popcorn lights on that nation would light up, would go crazy, almost dance, sort of. Um, and I, I was seeing, as I watched videos, I was seeing things that you don't even see today. At least I don't think you do. Correct me if I'm wrong. When France lights up, like they had um, the Moulin Rouge there, the windmill that actually said the words Moulin Rouge beside it. Uh, they made the American Pavilion basically look like the Capitol building. It was just, it was very specific. You know, like, let's take the next few moments to honor Morocco. Well, not Morocco. Like you said earlier, Morocco was the one <laughs> nation that did not have lights for religious reasons. But, like, let's take a few moment, moments to honor Japan. So everybody would look at Japan and just that one nation would light up like crazy and would dance a little bit. Yeah. So, like I said, illuminations. <laughs> As uh, I was reading yeah. this, it was like, oh. Oh, I'm so glad you got this. Yeah. So this lasted for six years well it lasted longer than that but this this form of it lasted for six years when in 1994 all they did was they updated the whole computer system the lights were replaced the spotlights on the buildings were replaced with stronger brighter ones and they could be better synced to the computer system um but basically this ran from 1988 until 1996 so there you go. I, I guess Matt, you don't have any memories of the original Illuminations. I do, but none that really uh, s stick out. I mean, we were going obviously in the late '80s, early '90s, and I remember my mom really, really loving the classical music portions of Illuminations. But it's one of those things we didn't make necessarily have to see every time we went. Yeah, it, it definitely definitely feels more of a nod to World Showcase than to Future World. Like I said, yeah. that the visuals were supposed to be a nod to Future World. But I think if I watched this show, I would just take it as like a celebration of cultures. Yeah, very very World Showcase-centric. I mean, it's just like, okay, here's a composer from this this country with, with no original music, you know, whatsoever. Well, that all changed in, <laughs> in 1996... Uh, with the introduction of Illuminations 25, which uh, was a reference to Walt Disney World's uh, 25th anniversary, uh, having opened in 1971. Um, a lot of the celebration of that that milestone reached all around Walt Disney World to, in different ways, and one of those was a new Illuminations show called Illuminations uh, 25. And much to the chagrin of many, um, a all of the classical music was was gone um, in the way that it was featured anyway. Um, and this was kind of the first time, uh, obviously, Illuminations being the only show to this point, that original music was composed for the Epcot uh, nighttime show. Um, so it started with an introduction. Let me, let me try to do Derek's wonderful uh, deal. 
uh, in my way. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Illuminations 25, a celebration of the magic that you, our 25th anniversary guests of honor, have brought to Walt Disney World for 25 magical years. Join us now as the countries of the world showcase welcome all of you to our worldwide family. Um, and at the beginning of it, oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, Matt's clapping for himself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> at the beginning of it, from the start, the show is entirely different because, I mean, from the get-go, just just go watch the show. You can find it on YouTube. Um, it's a very Disney Parade-style chorus that opens up with uh, a little rendition of Remember the Magic, which was the theme song for the 25th anniversary. I mean, like, full-out Voices of Liberty, show tunes, Remember the Magic. And then um, each country... Gave a little salute to, I guess, I, I never understood this. Visitors visiting Walt Disney World from their country, I guess, is is how the, the welcome goes. So Canada, and then Italy, France, Germany, United Kingdom, uh, Norway, Morocco, China, Japan, Mexico, and United States um, all offer a little word of greeting to guests, I suppose, visiting from their country for the 25th anniversary. Um, and then it goes into a section really dedicated to World Showcase called a Worldwide Celebration. And until today, I, I had never you know, researched the composer or anything like that, but the composer for um, most of this show uh, was Gregory Smith. I guess his, his middle name, Gregory Ryans or Ryans Smith, uh, R-I-A-N-S, just goes by Gregory Smith on his website. But he's done a, a lot of interesting things, like the composition for the... TV special of the second inauguration of Barack Obama. He oh. did the he did the theme song for that. The little CBS um, theme as CBS shows end. He did that, and he did lots of small little like uh, toy commercials and things. It's a lot for Disney. Jingle Bell, Jingle Bam. He's the arranger for wow. the music in that, and then lots of other Disney shows around the world. Some in, in Shanghai and Tokyo, um, but this is one of his biggest biggest things, I think. Um, this is a, a nod to musical styles from around the world. Not necessarily even those represented in World Showcase, but just kind of a world kind of ethnic celebration of music. Um, it starts off... I was just going to say, I listened to just a snippet of this earlier today, Illumination 25. What I was hearing felt like party music. It yeah. Just, it just felt so drastically different from the original Illuminations. I've always felt like like Carnival at the opening part with the whistles and the drums and everything yeah. happening. Um, that part is just uh, the, the style is Calypso. Oh, okay, and so okay. that's kind of like your opening kind of party. It's very festive. Yeah, it reminded me of Gloria Esteban. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> I mean, truly. Uh, and I think... I think they were going in a different direction, obviously, it, it, not to bore anybody with history and philosophy and stuff, but, you know, Epcot to this point, to really, 90, 95, 96, Epcot was very serious, took itself very seriously, and was very, you know, as noted by the music in the first Illuminations, all classical, very uppity, very high up there. And with this one, they turned a corner completely, and it's celebratory, and it's parade-like, and it's happy, and, um, you know, cookies on the bottom shelf kind of stuff. Areas represented with the music, uh, just simply there's uh, a little Asian section, an African section. And you can hear these very clearly as you're going through uh, listening to this little medley. South American, British, Flamenco, Eastern European, Middle Eastern, and it ends. <laughs> the most startling 
uh, juxtaposition is leaving the Middle Eastern section with the sitar and all these uh, string sounds right into the polka. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, polka. And then back to the calypso that kind of winds out the World Showcase uh, side, which they call Act 1. And then Act 2 was the Discovery Suite. So this is kind of the first time you have an outright kind of nod and very much so to Future World. So the Discovery Suite had its own theme, which when you listen to it, you're like, I know this theme from somewhere. And it's like you can't pinpoint it, but you know you hear it at Epcot somewhere. If we play it a little bit on here, you might hear it. If you go watch it on YouTube, you can hear it. And so that was the Discovery Suite. And the little variations represented um, some of the different pavilions of Future World. Oh. So uh, life, inno- innovations, imagination, the seas, the land, energy, motion, and communication. And the last act, Act 3, the finale, was the Circle of Life. And if we could not get any more diverse than we already have been, this is a full-fledged gospel choir rendition of the Circle of Life. And by gospel choir, I mean literally the Florida Mass Choir. <laughs> singing a very black gospel version of Circle of Life. And it is wonderful. Um, and this was the the finale. It ends with that. Wow. See, I didn't know that. That movie was only two years old, so I guess they were like, we gotta use this. It's awesome. Yeah. It's perfect. And, uh, that, was, that was the thing. And there was a, a post-show version. Um, apparently General Electric had a theme that was played uh, during that time. And of course, General Electric was kind of the... the logo was projected on spaceship earth and out there on the water um some of the water screens featured the ge logo as i recall um interestingly enough illuminations um illuminations uh, 25 in this current iteration ran for only one year before they switched over to what has been labeled illuminations 25 b and whether or not this was uh kind of a response to the people wanting um, more of the classical music back or not. I don't know the reasons why they switched, but a year later in 1998, uh, in 1987, they did indeed switch the show. So the opening is still very much the same with the Remember the Magic. Um, There's the the welcome from the countries, even though the 25th anniversary is being played down a little bit by this point. Um, You have the World Showcase salute and then you have uh, the Illuminations Fanfare. So uh, no more Greg, was it Greg Smith? Yeah, Gregory Smith. No more Gregory Smith. Uh, insert John Debney from many, many popular film scores. Yeah. He wrote an Illuminations Fanfare, especially for this presentation, which is very Olympic sounding. When you listen to it, you think you're listening to the Olympic, you know, the Fanfare for the Modern Man thing. Uh, that's what it sounds like. And that opens the whole thing. Act one then is completely classical music once again. So you have uh, things from the Nutcracker, um, all of them very popular and very recognizable. Even if you don't know the name or the composer, you've heard them in a Bugs Bunny cartoon somewhere and you're humming them in your head. So as you go through all this, it's not as much of a, hey, this is from France. <laughs> We're going to highlight France. But all the countries kind of in their in different order are represented, ending with Aaron Copeland's um, hoedown um, from 1942, which you'll recognize from the beef commercials, I think. Yeah, 
So it kind of ends what's with for that. dinner. <laughs> uh, so obviously, John Devney isn't the composer for this, but he's the arranger that kind of put it all in, in its order. And, then and you go it, to, what? I was going to say, and in true Disney fashion, the B version of the show features a lot more strobe lights. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I can, if I can speak to that, you you said that you don't know why they went to a B version. I, from what I understand the A version stayed as long as it did because that was just a celebration of the 25th. Kind of like the Disneyland celebration of its 60th lasted 18 months, you know, but then they took all the decorations off the castle, stuff like that. Or like the 35th of Epcot lasted about a year. I think that was as soon as all those technical official quote-unquote celebrations went away, they wanted to keep everything they had added, but maybe take away the in-your-face happy 25th stuff. Yeah. Well, they kept it named Illuminations 25 right? for the, the rest of that time, which would have been confusing. And I didn't find anything in the original Illuminations 25 except for the opening, like the narrator, that specifically mentioned the 25th. But I guess, yeah, just to give it kind of that special year-long, this is a special show. And then we're going to go back and include some of those more happy, modern elements, but then go back to where, you know where we were with the classical music yeah. as well. Now, this show did add a lot of visual upgrades, right? I mean, it can't just have been a music change, surely. Oh, no. Well, with each with each passing uh, show, uh, things get upgraded. I, I didn't find that the lights on the, um, as you were talking about, the floodlights and projections and even the popcorny lights on the nations, I didn't find them to be as much of a focal point as the stuff happening out on the lagoon in terms of fountains and fireworks and uh, some of the laser stuff happening out there. Yeah. Um, I, I One of the things I read about Illumination 25 was that the spotlights were actually used to do cool things with the smoke effects. Like, after fireworks went off, it would illuminate the smoke to kind of give it just a different visual yeah. feel. So, I, yeah, I think they were just little things that they were like, hey, this would be really cool, let's add this. Yeah, um, and interesting about this one in Act 2, it, it still features a, a, a official nod to Future World, but it is all still um, classically kind of music. Um, so things from the Carnival of the Animals that you would hear at the beginning of Impressions de France, and then uh, Hornpipe from the Water Music Suite by George, George Frederick Handel, even A Night on Bald Mountain has a place in this, but not from the popular Disney, um, you know, kind of ideas, but uh, as the classical piece of music. The finale to this one is simply um, Ode to Joy, the Symphony Number no. 9 um, by Beethoven, which, you know, you'll all know is uh, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore the or, yeah. or the Hymn. But that's the finale. And it ends with that. It's a big choral version kicks in, and that, that's the finale. And then, um, interestingly enough, in the post-show, the exit music for this show was Back to the Worldwide Celebration by Gregory Smith. So that calypso, whistly, lots of drums, very party-like atmosphere that, that played everybody out. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Illuminations 98 happened there, and I guess... A year later, I don't know if they officially switched the name, or... I don't think they did. I think that was like a fan-given name for it. Yeah. Um, it was the exact same soundtrack. Apparently, this is when a lot of the 25th announcement, in terms of the narration at the beginning and maybe the end, 
was removed. I think they still did the nation's greeting. They still they did still do the nation's greeting, but the narration leading up to it um, subtracted the fact about you know after 25 years we welcome you, or or whatever. So uh, same show, just a, a few differences here and there. And now we come to the future, or to excuse me, my Judy Dench. <laughs> and now we come to the present. Isn't that what she says in Spaceship Earth? Yeah, something like that. There we go. Um, I'm going to take you back to 1999. You all remember that year. The world was coming to an end as the year was winding down. We were all worried about the millennium. And remember to shut your computer off. Otherwise, it's going to get a virus and explode. And and I still remember um, my friend David, who we've had on this show, going to his home on New Year's Eve. And his parents had like... 20 water jugs in the basement just in case you know that we the grid went down i guess and i just remember thinking my family is screwed because we have not taken any preparations but 1999 was a year of fear but also a year of celebration because the new millennium was about to begin and epcot did not want to miss out on that so they actually started the uh, whole uh, millennium celebration uh matt do you remember do you remember this Oh, yeah, I thought it was really cool. I was like, oh, so we're, you know, come, coming out of the 25th anniversary celebration. I was like, oh, this is going to be a thing. Like every every year there's going to be something new. I mean, little did I know we would <laughs> how, what that would turn into. But um, Little yeah, did we know, 18 years later, we're still on the uh, Millennium Celebration. Oh, I liked the, two, the 2000 thing at the top of the Epcot. Uh, Spaceship Earth was, was cool to me then. Yeah, but the, the two biggest things at Epcot that we got was Illuminations 2000, Reflections of Earth, and the Tapestry of Nations Parade, which both mm-hmm. debuted in 1999. Mela. Oh, Mela. Yeah, I think we did a whole episode on the Millennium Celebration. This sounds vaguely familiar. Oh, that's right. Yes, I, I, I vaguely remember that as well. Uh, so October the 1st, 1999 is when... Illuminations, Reflections of Earth uh, debuted. Now, this uh, was on Epcot's 17th birthday, so it was a a legal consent age that they were celebrating there on October the 1st. And this kind of took a whole different approach to uh, a celebration of cultures that the Millennium Show, instead of just saying, hey, here's French culture and French music and here's some classical music from Germany and et cetera, et cetera, they wanted to celebrate the foundations of culture. So they went all the way back to the beginning of uh, the universe, in a sense. That was kind of the whole point of the show. Uh, it begins, of course, with the torches being lit around Epcot uh, World Showcase Lagoon, which I don't think the torches were there previously. Am I correct that they were brought in for this show? Right. Yeah, I think you're right, because at the end, that all ties in. Yeah. And so anybody want to take a guess how many torches are actually around epcot 75 19 (laughs) derek has done his research because 19 is the correct answer uh so the torches get lit usually about 30 minutes 30 20 minutes before the show begins and that's when the pre-show music yes uh which we've commented on (laughs) you said Uh, 75 (laughs) (laughs) 75 gas torches Uh, anyways, and then, um, well, I'm going to continue the tradition because the, uh, the voice that comes on is Jim Cummings and he welcomes us to Illuminations 2000, uh, by saying, good evening on behalf of Walt Disney World, the place where dreams come true. 
we welcome you to Epcot and World Showcase. We've gathered here tonight around the fire, as people of all lands have gathered for thousands and thousands of years before us, to share the light and to share a story, an amazing story, as old as time itself, but still being written. And though each of us has our own individual stories to tell, a true adventure emerges when we bring them all together as one. Mm. We hope you enjoy our story tonight, Reflections of Earth. And then he blows yeah. out the candles or the torches and the show. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, and the, the first act is called chaos. And if you've seen the show, you know, it starts with a one firework that kind of shoots out from the uh, American pavilion. And from that, it just a huge explosion. And that kind of represents the Big Bang, the start of the universe. Uh, and it was all sort of chaotic. And you'll notice there's a lot of fire, a lot of heat elements in this uh, portion. The music is very much uh, building and intense, uh, very strong Primal. at that point. Primal. That's a good word for it right there. Yes. Uh, but after all that kind of uh, the fire and everything kind of settles then you'll notice that the colors sort of change to like bluish and greenish and it's sort of this cooling part and that's where the order comes and so things are starting to be pieced together the globe starts to move to the center of the lagoon the music becomes very soothing and relaxing and out of that then uh, the pictures on the globe begin to appear you have animals scenes of nature ultimately leading up to people and different landmarks and things that have uh, come all around uh, the world I, I love illuminations reflections of earth do, do not get me wrong but i think when imagineers i don't know if they weren't able to do anything bigger or if budget restricted them or or what it was i think they thought that globe was going to be a bigger deal than it is because it's very it's very small when you put it out in the middle of a huge lagoon. I'm sure it's it is big, but when it's out there in the middle, it's like, oh look, it's is that the world? And then when the pictures start, nobody knows what's on it. Like I've always looked at like that's pretty, and I see is that someone walking? Oh, they're they're walking. And oh, is that Walt Disney's face? I think it is. Nobody knows what's happening. And and at that time, unfortunately, that's when I think the show takes a little bit of a lull and becomes kind of forgettable for about five minutes it would be nice to have the projections put or not projections but the videos shown elsewhere too like have that globe because the globe uh is 28 feet tall so yeah. that's not small but you're right once it gets out in the middle of that lagoon it doesn't appear to be you know uh, it doesn't um overwhelm you in a sense yeah. that you i think what imagineers were going for yeah, yeah it is a shame because i read stories of when that globe was built and it was like mind-blowing and it broke all sorts of records i mean never before have we had a spherical lcd screen it had like tens of thousands of led lights on it it took so long to put together and it was like an engineering feat but yeah i'm with you when you put it out in this, the middle of this huge lagoon it's a little underwhelming Wow. It was even featured on the History Channel show Modern Marvels. Oh, wow. Oh, that's how big of a deal it was. That's that pretty time. cool. I wonder if that is still around, that Modern Marvels. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, so you, then you start having the, the order that comes in. Um, and the third act of the show is called Meaning. And that's when you hear the, the song We Go On begins to play. And the globe opens up. 
in the finale, the torches are relit, and it kind of represents a unity candle, if you would, that we are all one, even though we are all from all over the, the, the globe, we, we, are, we are one people, one race, one human uh, existence, if you would. And uh, that is the big finale. And if you have been standing there, you feel it deep into your soul because it booms very yeah. loud and frightens <laughs> all children. It's wonderful. Yeah, it, I, I, the thing that always makes me laugh about the show is the perimeter fireworks. Because, like we said, with every new show that Epcot got, they added more and more fireworks, more fire, like actual um, flames, you know, from the barges. But the perimeter, when you happen to be standing close to one of those perimeter fireworks, it yeah. always scares the crap out of me. Because you're watching <laughs> the show from far away, and then all of a sudden, like 10 feet in front of you, it's boof! <laughs> yeah, and you feel it in the in the ground. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a cool moment though when the, the the torch ignites and comes out of the globe, which is opening up like a you know like a flower almost, and um, all around World Showcase, uh, l- like just one single like shot shoots out from the different nations all at once and kind of seem to converge symbolically in the middle. It's a nice picture. Well, do you know why there are 19 torches and then why the 20th torch is lit at the end? I do not. I bet you're going to tell us. Well, because it was the Millennium Celebration and each torch represent a century that had passed. And then the 20th torch is lit at the end to represent the 20th century that has now passed. Ah. And we're in the 21st century now. Yeah, screw all those those bc people we only care about <laughs> what has happened yes in the right. 80s <laughs> yeah what's the first song the song that ends the show as we go on right and then there's the tag which is promise promise, promise. so that's where the thing opens up right well promise is the like post show promise is the post show yeah in all right there's the... only one sung song as part of the show and that's the the finale well, like it stops on. and then we yeah. go on starts Okay, yeah, and that's when all those my, my favorite part has always been when the like thousands of bright um, fireworks shoot out of the torch. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? It lights up world uh, the world showcase lagoon like it's daytime. It's yeah. very, very impressive. So we talk we've talked about how good the score is. Was this the first time? I guess that someone was brought in to compose a brand new sort of quote-unquote like modern classical music because always before it was actual classical music right i believe well, so because the, the guy's stuff was was there oh that's true but you said he just used like actual old compositions and he arranged them oh no that was john debney john De- illuminations 25a was greg smith and it was all new compositions that's right and then illuminations uh, 25b John Debney arranged a lot of classical pieces together to, to form the show. Okay. So the last time classical music played with the nighttime show at Epcot was like 99 then. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because they brought in a guy named Gavin Greenaway, Greenaway right. yeah. uh, to do the music for Illuminations. Now, uh, the thing I read said they originally wanted Hans Zimmer who, of course, is the Ooh. composer of all the Pirates movie, but he was too busy with other projects, so he recommended too busy. this Greenaway guy. He was probably working on Gladiator at the time. I get the hey. feeling that Hans Zimmer, um, I love all of his stuff, but he always, everything about him seems kind of uppity, because you know how, <laughs> it, 
Bella, this is like the second time I've heard of him putting one of his like protégés or like colleagues on a project. The first one was Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl. They approached him to do it, but he got a guy named Klaus, uh, Klaus Badelt to do the soundtrack. But then once it became popular, of course, Zimmer did the rest of them. Mm. And this is the second time that I've read about this kind of thing happening. He sounds like, hmm, I don't have time for that. Oh, but it's popular. Let me jump in there and do it. You know, I don't care because the Gavin Greenaway score is perfect. Yeah, it's great. It's terrific. Yeah, and they used a 71-piece Philharmonic Orchestra. Oh, wow. 71. Do you know what that number represents? (laughs) I'm surprised it's not the Philharmagic Orchestra. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Something like that. Uh, so yeah, the music was recorded uh, specifically for this show, and Kelly Coffee is the one who sings the um, uh, promise song at the post show closing. And I remember her. This this is interesting to me because she uh, really was not popular at that time. I think her height kind of came in the mid 2000s is really when she became like a known country singer. She really wasn't like a known uh, recording artist. I I don't believe anyways in those in those years. So maybe she was just like a studio singer or somebody like that. Who? Yeah, because her first album wasn't I'm looking it up now. Her first album was not released until 2002. Oh, okay. Well, you know, what's interesting. I watched a video of the original Reflections of Earth and it's a completely different singer. Who's saying we go on? Really? Yeah, I don't know when they changed it, but I was listening and I'm like, this is not the same. Huh. Well, I appreciate that she doesn't sound too country in this uh, in this production because I'm not really a fan of her voice. It's very twangy outside of we go mm-hmm. on, but this version is very good. Yeah. Sounds like a rip off Celine Dion. That's probably like, the nicest thing he wants to set up here. Yeah, I was, like was going to say, there's a vast divide between those she, two. She could do a, um, like a like a like a Celine Dion tribute show at Myrtle Beach, and 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 it would be okay. <laughs> uh, I wonder why they didn't get the Canadian Idol singer to come back for this. Uh, She's awesome. What was her name again? Eva Avila. Eva Longoria. Yeah, her. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. Have you guys heard stories of the Inferno Barge, something going wrong with it in the mid-2000s? This kept popping up in my research. Like, you wouldn't know, would you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently, like, the fireworks that were supposed to project from the barge and explode in the air just exploded inside the barge. And so this whole barge was removed for, like, a year while they had to fix it, obviously, because it was blown to smithereens. You said early 2000s. I thought it was... 2005. I think I remembered. It seems like it was more recent than that, but I might just be old and things seem like they were closer. (laughs) Um, There are some interesting videos of the 98 show, um, which, you know, looking back, I don't remember the show being this way, but there was a fireworks ban throughout uh, Orlando and for the theme parks specifically because of the or, um, some of the wildfires in central Florida. And so there are some videos of illuminations... Um, with no fireworks and you would think they would cancel it but they didn't and it's <laughs> it's awkward for 15 minutes <laughs> it's just a laser show yeah. oh no eh, it's not a laser it's a little light bulb that blinks <laughs> <laughs> i also did not know call me stupid that there is a pilot on board that globe who 
positions it in place and then like hides in a little fireproof place while the show actually happens. I just assumed it was all computerized. Oh my goodness. I, now I have pictures of a dude like driving it and then like frantically <laughs> frantically getting in the panic room and getting in like the, the position like uh, hand over his head and stuff. I didn't realize that either. You would think it would be like on a track of some type or a remote control because that seems very dangerous. I would not want that job. I know. And honestly, that may have been when it opened. Maybe that's changed now. Like maybe they've found a way. But at least when it started, every night a guy had to drive it in place and then cover. Drums. I always think about the ducks as well that are out there on the lagoon. Like They know. There's... Yeah, they know now, but how many of them got fried in the learning process? <laughs> They get out of there. I, I think I remember something somewhere that they. I don't think they play any music or do anything that gets them out. I think they're just they're just used to it. I mean, you might be right that they're like, like oh, it's uh, eight fifty five. We better go. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got to go home, but you got to get the heck out of here. Uh, I did learn something in in reading about illuminations. Do you know where the control booth is at? Is it Mexico? It is. It's at the top of the Mexican tower there. Uh, the little slot opens up and they're able to watch and uh, uh, control the show, I guess, from up there. And also, I learned this as well, that um, because of the lasers that are used in the show, that they have to contact uh, the airport and let them know, I guess, give like a 30 minute because it's an FCC thing that yeah. you're not supposed to have so much powerful lasers over, a, you know, for planes and that kind of thing. And they contact them every night to let them know the show is going on. Oh, who knew? All right. Well, before we talk about the future of the show, I guess we, we mentioned um, kind of off the air that we should maybe at least mention the fact that Holiday versions of this show took place throughout the years. Matt, do you have that in front of you? Like when the yeah. the first one? From 1994 to 1998, there was an entire holiday illumination show that replaced the regular show. And so this featured uh, Walter Cronkite was the narrator, at least for the opening and the closing. Um, and then there was uh, it was just a kind of a combination of Christmas holiday songs. So there was like an opening medley of carols. So hark the herald, oh come all you faithful, joy to the world, deck the halls and angels we have heard on high. And then um, there was a Nutcracker suite that featured a medley of songs from the Nutcracker, uh, very much associated with the Christmas season. Uh, oh Holy Night, which was sung by Sandy Patty. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, shoot me. Yeah. Oh, wait. Like, for real? No, I don't like Sandy Patty. I'm sorry. she's wonderful. Mm, Sandy Patty. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's not middle school. We used to call her Sandy Fatty back in the day. I don't care how big she was. She she, she got some pipes. Um, Maybe, but she she does that annoying... I'm sorry. She does that annoying, like... She always does like those runs and things. That's like, her no. thing. That's eighties and nineties. But she did good with these kind of songs, and and this is a beautiful rendition of Oh Holy Night." Just poo on you and your hatred. Uh, there was a Hanukkah medley that that was part of this, and then there was the finale, which was "Let There Be Peace on Earth," mm. which even once the holiday illuminations as its own show ceased. Um, I don't know when it started. I think in 2004 or 5-ish, they started doing a holiday tag at the end of Reflections of Earth, 
which was just this finale. So after the regular Illuminations uh, Reflections of Earth finale, there was uh, they they used the Walter Cronkite narration for a while, and then the finale "Let There Be Peace on Earth," which they you know says like a holiday tag, and it was nice. And that still happens today, minus the uh, Walter Cronkite narration. I miss the Walter Cronkite narration. It was so good, and it, it just I don't know. It was a perfect way. Of like ending that show, the new uh, the new ending is nice, but uh, bring back Walter. Yeah. Well, the joke is it says they sing "Let There Be Peace on Earth." I think it's wonderful, but then literally the sky explodes, so it's like "Let There Be Peace." But yeah, holiday. Okay, so let's talk about the future of nighttime entertainment at Epcot. I will admit to being a little underwhelmed by this show the first time. And now that I understand the story and see how, like I said, they are illuminating the nations, it's like, oh, I get it, I get it. I still just, I think that's way too abstract for a theme park show. Like, I feel like you have to be really, really intelligent to understand this. Well, I kind of like that, though, because you have wishes and and all the, or the the new, what is it again, Happily Ever After? Um, That is that Magic Kingdom. That is very much Disney. I mean, it is it is on the nose. Uh, the castle is there. The Disney music is playing. Illuminations is something entirely different. So I feel like it needs to be in order to separate itself. Even like Hollywood Studios, where you have Fantasmic uh, and those kind of things. This is something different. This is not so on the nose, and and it is a more cultured experience, in my opinion. It's something that that somebody can enjoy. Children can enjoy it and that kind of thing. But it it, it is a little highbrow. Well, I think it's in the middle of the road. I mean, at least it's not – not not that I think this would be a bad thing, but it's not like it's, you know, 20 minutes of purely classical music now. At least there's a bit of a film soundtrack sense. Like, it's, it's clearly telling a story. You don't have to interpret as much as you would have otherwise. Yeah. And I say that, but I really do enjoy Acts 1 and 3. I think it's the whole globe thing that, oh my goodness, something needs to happen. Eh, again, I think I think they just thought that would be a bigger, you know, a, a much more eye candy than it is. Yeah. Well, and with all the changes coming to Epcot in the future, I wonder if we will get a new show. Um you know, I think it's definitely needed. It's been, like I said, 1999 since we have had any significant changes. So uh, it's almost 20 years. It seems like they will wait until they announce, if they ever announce, what's happening with Future World. Um, and they'll probably, day. I would, if that was me, I would hold on to what we have until there's some new direction for future world because that's going to tell you what the direction of the show should probably be. That's a great point. Cause I do wonder as we talk about this, if the reason they haven't changed it is they simply don't know what to do. Like what else can you really do when the park has two focuses, one on the future and one on the world as it exists now? Like what are you supposed to do with that? The amount of time that shows have stuck around has you know, over the years, um, extended. So I don't see them doing a new show, you know, featuring Epcot the way it is now and maybe keeping it for five, even 10 years, just five or 10 years. Well, happy 30th anniversary illuminations. It is funny. I think I, I appreciate the show the more I see it, whereas other shows, 
are the opposite. <laughs> but for this one, like, I do get a better appreciation of the fact that you can see this from anywhere around this 1.3 mile stretch. You know, it uses not only things on the water, but the buildings behind you. It tells a story, one that you may not understand at first, at, on your first <laughs> viewing. But after doing some research, then you get it. Uh, but it it's kind of a beautiful fireworks show. It just, it it, it, it's 30 years old. So there are several, several wow moments during which, which I don't really get with fireworks shows when they are, you know, in the distance and above things, but because it is right there in front of you, there are several, several wow moments for it. It really is quite impressive. Well, who knows what the future holds, but um, hopefully we'll get some news on that very soon. But until then, thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the show. You can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you want to connect with us. Or, hey, send your emails to comments at madchatters.net. If you haven't done it, we appreciate those reviews we get online. That's one way you can help out the show and make us pop up more often when people search for Disney podcasts. So we'd appreciate if you went over to iTunes and left a short review there. Uh, I think that's all for this week, so we'll see you next time. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Bye-bye now. Even you, Sandy Patty. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Sandy Patty. (laughs) 